CAR T-cell therapy. This immunotherapy strengthens the power of a patient's own immune system to attack tumors. It's one of the most exciting and promising treatments out there today and has captured national attention because of the remarkable results produced in some patients. Patients who had previously exhausted all treatment options. But what exactly is this therapy? And does it work for all cancer patients? And can it really be a cure for cancer, as some say? Let's talk about it. Hello, I'm Dr. Diane Reedy Lagunes from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and welcome to Cancer Straight Talk. We're bringing together national experts and patients fighting these diseases to have evidence-based conversations. Our mission is to educate and empower you and your family members to make the right decisions and live happier and healthier lives. For more information on the topics discussed here or to send us your questions, please visit us at mskcc.org podcast. We are so pleased to be joined today by Dr. Michelle Sadelin and Dr. Jay Park. Dr. Sadelin is a leader in the field of immunology and a renowned physician scientist here at MSK. He's the guy that helped pioneer the development of CAR T-cell therapy, a treatment in which a patient's own cells are modified to target and kill cancer cells. That research then gets translated, as we say, from bench to bedside. Dr. Park is the guy that runs the clinical team that delivers this brilliant technology directly to our patients. He's the chief of the cell therapy service and specializes in patients with leukemia. Michelle and Jay, thank you so much for both joining us, and we are super excited today to discuss this game-changing treatment. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor. And Michelle, you were awarded the 2024 Breakthrough Prize in Life Sciences for your role in developing this innovative technology. And for those listening and aren't familiar with this prestigious award, this is literally like the Oscars of the science world. And before we delve into the ins and outs of CAR T-cell therapy, can you share the backstory about your original idea and the years of work that you spent developing it before it really became something that we have today? Well, we have to go back in time then. Some 30, 35 years ago, it was known that on occasion, the immune system can successfully fight cancer, but loses in most instances. At the time, there was a hope that vaccines might elicit a response. Vaccines take time to kick in, and you also need to identify you know, what are called antigens, the molecular structures that the immune response could, could identify on the tumor cell. The idea underlying CAR T-cells is one to bypass a vaccine and go directly to T-cells. T-cells are major players in the immune system, and they're the ones who can recognize the tumor and then destroy it. And to guide those T-cells would require a receptor, which on the surface of those cells tells what the T-cell should recognize, followed by an instruction to kill. But to do that, you first needed to learn how to educate those T-cells, which requires a genetic instruction, and then design receptors that would be capable of performing all those tasks, and then identify an antigen that could serve as a first model should this therapy one day come to patients, and then figure out how to manufacture this new type of medicine, which is not a pill, which is not an antibody, but has to be manufactured in personalized fashion for each and every patient. And so just to recap, you're taking the patient's white cells, and specifically their T cells, to manufacture, modify, and then put them back so that those T cells will attack the cancer that they have. 
That's exactly correct. That is the process. How did you even think of such a thing? Our immune system is very well suited to protect us against invaders to our body, such as viruses, bacteria, or, or parasites. But it's not as well suited to tackle cancers. Cancers originate from our own cells. They're really a variation of our own cells. And normally, our immune system avoids of attacking our own cells. That is a process called immune tolerance. And to snap out of this immune tolerance, one concept was that if you introduced new receptors into the T cells, synthetic receptors that we later named chimeric antigen receptors or CARs, that you could overcome this limitation of the immune system. For that purpose, you needed to work out the technologies that would enable you to directly modify the patient's own T cells. Now they say the pioneers in this world have an imagination to do things that others just never see. And it's just absolutely remarkable that you and others kind of thought that you could figure out a way to modify that T cell and put it back to a patient so that it could see that cancer cell that it wasn't able to do before. You're absolutely right. And in fact, if we go back two decades or so, many thought this sounded more like science fiction than science. And I have to say, the idea wasn't immediately embraced by the scientific community. It took some time to demonstrate, first in mouse models, that this could indeed be accomplished. And later, it took some time to show that we could do the same thing with human T cells. There's a whole cohort of hurdles to overcome, some scientific, some technical, some regulatory, even some clinical. How do you deliver these T cells to a patient? And I also should emphasize that until recently, there was no industry that performed this. This had never been done before. And therefore, it was up to medical centers like ours to roll up our sleeves and, in fact, become manufacturers of genetically instructed patient T cells. Absolutely. And so, Jay, how is CAR T-cell therapy being used in the clinic? And can you share with us a little bit about what cancers that we're treating right now? Sure. I just remember working closely 15 years ago when this therapy was actually tried and through the clinical trials in humans as well. And it's been certainly an exciting journey from there on. Since then, this therapy has been approved for many cancers, mostly in blood cancers at this time. The one disease that we're currently being used in the case is lymphoma. So patients who have tried conventional or the first-line chemotherapy and they have failed to work, the cancers have recurred, is approved for large cell lymphoma patients, mental cell lymphoma patients, patients with acute lymphoblastic leukemia type of blood cancers, also for both pediatric patients as well as adult patients, and lastly, multiple myeloma patients. And it's an approved therapy for all these type of patients. So it's a hugely exciting time. And then obviously we're even more excited for the possibility in expanding to other cancer types too. And then one key thing I think that made a made a splash about this type of treatment is it is a curative therapy, meaning it could actually achieve that holy grail of kind of what we as a cancer doctors want to accomplish for all of our patients is a cure. Not 100% of the time, but in some cancers we're able to do that, especially in the lymphoma and acute lymphoblastic leukemia or ALL. Awesome. And Jake, can you just give us a step-by-step, -step, what does a patient actually have to go through? Sure. As Michelle mentioned, this is a modification to their own immune cells called T cells that we all carry in our body that normally do surveillance for the cancer cells and the infection cells too. So first we have to collect the T cells from the patients and we call that leukophresis or apheresis. 
that essentially looks like a donation of the blood type. You're sitting on this Frisius machine for about two hours or so, and they filter out the T cells and then the rest of the cells are returned back to you. So we take those collected white blood cells and then we isolate the T cells. And then we then do genetic engineering and manufacturing happens. So the T cells then express this chimeric antigen receptor or CAR, which is an artificial T cell receptor that is recognizing your cancer cells too. So these are essentially enhanced T cells or immune cells that now has a capability to recognizing the kill the cancer cells. That takes about two weeks. During those times, the patients may require additional therapy for their lymphoma, leukemia, and other cancers to stabilize their disease or further treat their disease while their T cells are being manufactured. So once the T cells are manufactured, the cells are either frozen and they are thawed and then infused back into the patients. I want to thank you, Jay, for daring to use the C word, the cure word. I think that's indeed one of the most remarkable aspects of this therapy is that in some patients, it can be curative. But importantly, this is following the administration of this medicine only once. There is no reinfusion and long-term maintenance therapy. Furthermore, the drug is not a chemical or a protein or an antibody. It's a cell. Thirdly, it's not just a cell. It's a genetically instructed cell. So there are many firsts embodied in this novel form of immunotherapy. Well, as you all know, I take care of GI cancers, and I don't think there is a clinic that CAR T cells don't come up for my patients to ask me if we can use it too. Because like you said, Michelle, I mean, it is absolutely remarkable that one infusion can be curative in some patients with blood cancers. But what's the magic bullet and why can it be tricky that we can't so quickly extrapolate to all types of cancers? It's a great question and often asked these days. Solid tumors are found in different locations in the body and they also tend to organize themselves in a different way. You know, what we call a tumor is not only made of cancer cells, it's a tumor plus supportive cells, immune cells, blood vessels, even sometimes neurons. So there's a whole microcosm there that feeds and protects the tumor. So the good news is that first of all, we know that T cells can eliminate solid tumors. That has been shown in melanoma for many years. And also in another immunotherapy called checkpoint blockade, where patients receive antibodies, it's actually their T cells that eliminate those solid cancers. So we know very well that T cells can do it. There's no mystery there. Now, those T cells are often blocked in the tumor. And so in the context of CAR T cells, we need to figure out which blocks are more important than others. And this approach allows us to adapt and modify the T cell accordingly. So this cannot be done overnight. I know a lot of people, including us, want to see this happening right away, but it takes some time to identify the most important resistance mechanisms, find the right targets, demonstrate that in animal models, establish the manufacturing, have it approved by the FDA, and then commence clinical trials. So I am very optimistic that this can succeed, but you have to give it a few years. Absolutely. It's very exciting, though. Jay, what are some of the potential side effects? So there are some acute toxicity, the short-term toxicity that happens shortly after the T-cell infusion. As Michelle said, you know, this is a single infusion of the CAR-T, but it's done in combination with some chemo. That purpose of the chemotherapy is to enhance these infused T-cells to grow and expand as best as they can, and then also successfully eradicate and eliminate the cancer cells. 
So part of the process, as our immune cells are being reactivated and then replicating, trying to kill the cancer cells, and as a result of this immune activation, patients can experience first what's called cytokine release syndrome that essentially is a reflection of the hyperactivation of immune cells. It's very similar to how our body fights infection. You get fevers, your heart rate goes up a little bit, you may get a little difficulty breathing. So these are cytokine release syndrome that happens usually within the first week of cell infusion. These are very well-recognized side effects. It's very well-managed, even prevented in some cases with a cytokine blockade or corticosteroids. The second side effects is what's called neurotoxicity, neural side effects. It doesn't happen with all CAR T-cell infusions. We do see mainly in lymphoma patients and ALL or acute leukemia patients. These also happens a little bit later, 7 to 14 days later after T-cell infusion. Again, transient reversible side effects, and these are also manageable and preventable. Is more recently recognized, which is infections or the immunosuppression that can happen from the chemotherapy as well, too. So some of these patients can have a little bit prolonged time to get their cell count recovery. So they may need some transfusions. Doesn't, again, happen in all patients. But as these patients usually travel back and forth, and then they come to our centers to receive the cell therapy, and then they may return to their treating doctors for their subsequent follow-up one month later and two months later. During that time, it is also important for these referring doctors to be aware of what other things to kind of watch out for. What we are really getting better, though, now is that we can actually predict who's going to be at high risk or more likely to develop these side effects that we need to watch out for. And there are very low-risk patients that we do know that they can actually coast through this therapy without any fever, any side effects at all. And it's very possible that some patients can do that. Absolutely. And along those lines of being mindful of the side effect, is it generalizable? You explained beautifully the play-by-play of what's expected from a patient, but in the back end, what's going on in terms of the folks that know how to provide the phoresis, to take out the T-cells, and then to modify them and put them back in? I mean, is this something that you envision that most centers will be able to do or will be unique to certain centers that have the capacity and capability of doing this? So that's a very good question too. So I think the for right now, for a couple of reasons that is limited to the centers who have done traditional bone marrow transplant, which is other type of a cell immunotherapy where you get donor T cells. So the transplant centers who've been doing for long years are aware of and have a capability and resources available for the T-cell collections and so forth. So these are kind of somewhat limited to these major either cancer centers or the transplant centers. And that does put some barrier to the access. The reason that it is limited to those is not only the T-cell collection part, it's also because the side effects we talked about, because as much as they're manageable and in some cases preventable, but not 100% of the time, so they do require very close monitoring. So you do want to be at the center for now, at least with the current products that we do have, where the doctors and then the nurses, whoever is taking care of these patients, know what to do when the side effects happens and can anticipate them and proactively manage them. Once we make this therapy much safer, so the most patients do not get those side effects and they don't have to be in the hospital, I think at that point, we will feel comfortable as a clinician myself too, to deliver this type of a therapy to other centers as well, because they don't have to be monitored as closely. So it will be just at any other infusions that we do, whether it's an antibody-based therapy, we typically do that in smaller centers because side effects is again, much more manageable. I think that's exactly where we want to go. And I think it's very possible that we can get there. If I may add to Jay's comments, going to the mechanism that underlies some of these toxicities that Jay described are the consequence of a very strong immune response. 
It's because there's so many T cells that in synchronized fashion are attacking the tumor that you get the release of these molecules and these side effects. So why can we not predict whether a patient will develop these responses accurately, or at least not yet? Well, it's because this is a personalized medicine. Your drug, which is this CAR T cell, is different every time because it is made from the patient's own T cells. And so we don't yet have a way to precisely anticipate the degree to which these T cells will multiply in the body of the recipient and whether the attack on the tumor will be you know, violent and synchronized or more spread out over time. Our clinical colleagues are learning a lot about how to manage these complications. And as Jay said in due course, we will be able to produce T cells that never proliferate too much, but rather just enough. Let's talk about cost. Right now, it needs to be done in specialized cancer centers, but we're talking about a therapy that's potentially curative. Is there a potential to actually bring those costs down? When the first CAR T-cell therapies were approved by the FDA in 2017, the companies that commercialized these CAR T-cells put out a very high price for a single infusion, somewhere between $400,000 and $500,000 for this single, potentially curative, albeit not always curative, infusion. I think we can all see that this cost would break the bank, if I may say. So it is not sustainable. We need to come up with ways to lower the cost. I won't comment on the profit margin that pharmaceuticals deem to be sufficient to garner their interest, but I think on our end, as scientists, researchers, and clinicians, what we can do is improve the quality of the T-cells that we manufacture, because if we make uh, better T-cells, we would need fewer T-cells, meaning we would lower the dose that has to be manufactured for each and every patient. And we would also lower the cost of production if the production is shorter. And today, all our protocols are only seven days manufacturing, and we think that fairly soon the manufacturing will be only three days. Now, there are also other approaches that are under development that may contribute to lowering the cost. If you made the cells from a healthy donor and could administer that one batch of cells to multiple recipients, already you would lower the cost because it would be one manufacturer for many patients, not one manufacturer for one patient, as is the case today. And there are efforts in that direction. Another way, which is already in the clinic also, is stem cells that can be cultured in bioreactors and from which scientists are learning how to produce T-cells, including CAR T-cells. And so these would be T-cells that wouldn't be harvested from the patient or from a healthy donor, but they would be born inside a bioreactor. The fourth approach that has come very recently to the fore is to engineer the T-cells inside the body of the patient. Now, this is even more remote, but in theory, if it were to succeed, it could bypass many of the manipulations that today we perform in the laboratory outside of the body of the patient. So from a scientific and technical and clinical point of view, there are a number of things that we can hopefully implement in the years to come that will ultimately lead to a lower price for these therapies. It's absolutely brilliant. Those innovative ideas, high risk, we all know in the world of science, they're really hard to get funded. Can you talk a little bit on how philanthropy has helped to support some of the ideas that you've had? Philanthropy was critical in bringing this immunotherapy to the patients. When the research was more conceptual, 
we were successful in obtaining funding from federal agencies. However, as we wanted to develop this therapy for a first in human clinical study, we now needed to accomplish different things, such as build a facility that would meet production standards, what are called good manufacturing practices. These are not funded by typical agencies. And so I have to say that it's thanks to philanthropy that at MSK, we were able to accomplish all of these tasks. I am both happy and sad to say that without philanthropy, this therapy would not have seen the light of day. Happy because the philanthropy came through. And sad, though, that the federal agencies support the research up to a certain point of concept and then fall through when you need to make this big transition to the clinic. Yeah, it's a powerful example of how challenging the world of science can be to be able to get these ideas to fruition. Question for both of you. Where do you see us headed in the next five years as it relates to CAR T-cell therapy? The big frontier is what you asked us about earlier, which is the solid tumors. So I think that in the next five years, I'm hopeful that we and others will come up with the demonstration that CAR T-cells can also be effective in solid tumors. The good news is that many of the key barriers have been identified. So at least we know where we need to focus our attention. In addition to what Michelle just said, these CAR T-cell therapy, even the ones that are curative and are highly effective, are currently being treated in patients who have failed two or three prior treatments. But I really don't believe that's the best setting to treat this effective therapy. These are one of the most single, most effective treatment that we have in there for some of these liquid tumors or the blood cancers. But there's no reason we have to wait until for them to fail two or three prior lines of a chemotherapy to get there. And as a clinician, as an ALA leukemia, that's what I want to see in five years, hopefully, so that we can actually make a huge difference in our patients' lives. And then the second is the access. I think we really have to do a better job as the scientists and clinicians and institutions to increase access to this type of effective therapy to wider population. I think that that effort really needs to be made. Absolutely. Jay and Michelle, thank you so much for coming on today. I learned a tremendous amount from both of you. It's a pleasure to be with you today and with all your listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cancer Straight Talk from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. For more information or to send us your questions, please visit us at mskcc.org podcast. Help others find this helpful resource by rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Any products mentioned on the show are not official endorsements by MSK. These episodes are for you, but are not intended to be a medical substitute. Please remember to consult your doctor with any questions you have regarding medical conditions. I'm Dr. Diane Reedy-Lagunes. Onward and upward.